Welcome to Business Unveiled Podcast. This is the place where we help overwhelmed, time-starved entrepreneurs like you make the profitable shifts to get more done and get more out of life. I'm your host, Angela Prophet, award-winning eight-figure entrepreneur and CEO. And in every episode of Business Unveiled, I'm bringing you conversations that will give you the expertise and strategies that will scale your team and business so you can get shit done. That's GSD in our world. So get your time back and grow a business that helps you be present in your life. Let's do this, y'all. Today's podcast is being brought to you by one of my favorite, favorite video apps called Vlog Easy. What you're going to love about this app is that you can do two main things with it. The first thing that I use it for is if I'm doing planned content videos, it actually edits for you. It's called jump cutting. There's no other app that does this. It saves me hundreds and hundreds of hours of editing. So you can create amazing videos in no time by using this app to promote your business. It will help you grow your business, bring brand awareness, and convert sales. In addition to the jump cut feature, there's over 5,000 royalty-free photos, videos, and stickers, and you can share it to any platform. You can video in different ratios. You can do it in vertical, horizontal, square. The second way that you are absolutely going to love using this app is to vlog throughout the day. So you can start it in the morning, vlog throughout the entire day, export it at night, and place it on any of your social platforms. And if you're into Instagram like I am, and you can export it in 15-second increments specifically for your Instagram story. This will become your go-to app to wash, rinse, repeat your content. For an exclusive rate, and you get an amazing deal if you use my link, go to angelaprofit.com slash vlog easy. And that's V as in video. Hi, y'all. It's Angela. I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled, and I'm so excited to talk with our guest today because we have a lot in common. I was actually watching some of her videos the other day, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, yes, yes, somebody is saying this out loud. Like, we need to talk about these things. And so, and, and it couldn't be a more timely manner to interview this person. And so we're going to be talking with Thais Gibson. She's the co-owner and creator of, are you ready? Personal Development School. And if you're a new entrepreneur, you might not know or even feel or understand that personal development is the most important thing that makes your passion and your energy and your drive like go like the little engine that could right and so we're going to be talking about something that needs to be talked about okay and so she is a personal development expert she's an author she's a teacher she's worked with thousands of clients across the globe to help them really transform their life and you know what when you transform your life you transform your relationships your business you really overcome these sustainable challenges that you can move forward with. She's also certified in over 
13, and that's a lot, different therapeutic techniques, including cognitive behavior therapy, neuro-linguistic programming, hypnosis, somatic experience anymore. And listen, y'all, if you don't know what any of that stuff is, it's okay. Because if I didn't go to school for what I went to school for, I wouldn't know what any of that stuff meant. So you got to stick around and learn some of these things. And she's created and tested cutting edge approaches to healing all areas of your life that are truly, truly long lasting. And guess what? Results. And that's what we need to get these days. They're results oriented. And again, that's what we need. So this is because she, she really recognizes that the real change to exist, it must take place at the subconscious level. So like I totally geek out on all of this stuff. So Thais, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting to be here with you today. Oh my gosh. It's like I have so many questions, but before I start like in on how did you like get into all this stuff, take us back and let us know, like, I know you're from Canada and um, you went to school in the U.S., but take us down that journey. Like, where did you grow up? How did you get to where you are today in your journey? Yeah. So I, um, yeah, born and raised in Toronto and then um, I, I think I grew up and, and, you know, my parents definitely had a lot of challenges in their relationship. Um, and that led to a whole bunch of, you know, exposure to experiences that were probably a little overwhelming for me at a, at a young age. And I think I didn't really know how to properly emotionally process a lot of what was happening and a lot of sort of the chaos and, and stuff that was going on in my home. So um, I think it kind of set me out on a quest at like a very young age of trying to understand human behavior and why people do the things they do and what leads to anger and, and, you know, stress and all these different things. And at the same time, there was definitely a lot of stuff I wasn't properly emotionally processing as a, an individual and being able to make sense of. And so I was sort of sponging up and storing and, and I think storing is a lot of pain. And so I was an athlete and, and played division one soccer. And that's what took me um, to the US on, on a scholarship and everything. But prior to that point, um, I had a knee surgery in, in my sophomore year of high school. And, um, and I ended up becoming addicted to the painkillers I was taking afterwards and ended up like seeking them out when I wasn't getting them prescribed any longer and really went on to have this like personal battle with addiction for, for about seven years. Um, and that sort of set me on fire to trying to understand things even more because I didn't want to be like that. And I was like, oh my goodness, like what's happening to me? I was, I'm like this athlete and this good student and all, and all of a sudden this was really taking hold of me. And um, I think a lot of it was unprocessed trauma that was stored at my at a subconscious level. And then, you know, painkillers sort of numb your emotions. And it's like a great way to escape pain that we might be carrying in our psyche throughout the day. And so that sort of, was a big, um, you know, turning point for me in terms of, wow, like really, really wanting to understand the mind. And I was pretty high functioning and I did end up going to school and, and all these different things. But I, I it wasn't until I had somebody in one of my classes actually say to me, um, well, the conscious mind can't outwill or overpower the subconscious mind that it made everything make so much sense because 
you know, between 14 or 15 years old and, and this time where I heard this, I had been like, you know, trying to journal every night and research independently because I would on a daily basis be like, this is the last time. I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to, you know, seek these things out any longer. I'm not going to. And I would tell myself over and over again, I'm not going to do this. And then I would always feel like I was losing this battle in the relationship to myself where it was like, and then sure enough, three hours later, I'm back at it. And it was like this very tormenting experience. And I think something I felt really alone in because, you know, who's, who's going through painkiller addictions at 15 years old that, you know, like there's really not that many people. Right. And so it, it's when I heard that I like realized, oh my goodness, you're describing this war within myself, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. And so it really opened me up to trying to understand everything I could about the subconscious. And, and what I realized is that if you really want change to take place, you have to engage the subconscious mind in the process. And if you don't, like my, my friend had said, like your conscious mind cannot outwill or overpower my, your subconscious mind. And so it sort of set me on this quest. Um, I had tried inpatient rehab, outpatient rehab. I had tried therapy. I tried all these things from about the age of 15 to, to 21. And um, as soon as I heard that, things started to change in a matter of months. And so um, that took me down a path of, of doing a master's degree in transpersonal psychology, which is sort of a different, not so mainstream form of psychology, and then doing all these different certifications, largely that incorporated the subconscious mind in the process to really try to make sense of like, you know, what's happening beneath the surface, the things we don't see, the things that we're not traditionally taught about in, in the field of psychology, at least not enough so in my opinion. And um, that healed me. And then that really sort of, um, I started doing workshops and, and ran a practice for um, the better part of a decade. And then, um, you know, realized why well, I have these like two year long waiting lists to see clients and, and that's not really helping people. And so that's what um, led me to develop the school where there was more access to this information. Okay. So everything you just said, I love it because you, it, it's like, it's one thing to go to school for something, but it's another thing to actually experience it and then go through it yourself, overcome it, which I think makes you so much more passionate about helping other people because you know that you can change them. Like, you know that because you've done it to yourself. So I love how you've taken your personal experiences and then turned them into, I mean, my gosh, you've changed thousands of people and probably saved a lot of lives along the way. Um, and I mean, I, I grew up, <laughs> my dad was an undercover drug cop oh, <laughs> and my brother like works in like followed in his footsteps. And so I'll never forget when we were, our, our dad got very sick years ago and it felt like Vanderbilt, which is a hospital here. I felt like it was like a second home. Like I felt like we were in the ER all the time. And my brother would always like grow his facial hair out and like wear a ball cap and we'd be in the ER and he's like, you see that nurse over there? I've, I've bought pills from them. <laughs> and he's like, you see that person over there? And I've bought, and I'm just like, this is crazy how people go from trying to have a, you know, having a surgery and then they, I mean, there's so many people that it's so easy to like get addicted to painkillers. And then if you're dealing or at the time not dealing with something else emotionally, and like you said, it just kind of 
takes your feelings and pushes them down. But the fact that like you came up, you dealt with them, you've overcome it. It's incredible. Um, it, so it explains to me, I'm like, wow, like she's certified in a lot of things, but like you're driven by your past experiences, which is fascinating. Um, thank you for sharing all of that. Cause I know it's like, it's not easy, you know, like in the beginning, like sharing all this, it, it really isn't. Um, I think too, it's sort of like, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff in society where people try to show like their perfect version of themselves and it doesn't, it's not really conducive because we all have our struggles and we all have our stuff. And I really believe in just, you know, putting it all out there and giving people hope accordingly if it's possible. Absolutely. And so what I'm really interested in though, is integrated attachment theory. And like you said, you went to inpatient rehab, you went to outpatient rehab, none of that stuff worked, but it seems like the first thing that actually started to really help you is understanding the subconscious mind. So does integrate, and, and again, I'm asking questions like, because probably most people don't know about this stuff, you know? I mean, again, I'm fascinated by it, but like, what does that mean? Like integrated attachment theory, like what is that? Yeah. So, so it's based off of John Bowlby's work on attachment theory and, and attachment theory was something developed decades ago. And it's this basically concept or idea that we have certain rules through which we learn to attach to other people and, and specifically our primary caregivers in early childhood. And everybody sort of has this subconscious set of rules. We've developed sort of the subconscious version with, with these different components. And, and basically we've gone on to recognize that you know, when, so, so John Bowlby's work basically talks about how children attach to their caregivers and how it sort of impacts like their temperament and the way they act around other people in their adult lives and, and can have an impact on their romantic relationships. And we've sort of taken that and dug into that a little bit more because I was originally seeing clients and, and developing a, a system of like core wounds that people experience and subconscious needs they have. And what I realized is that John Bowlby's work in traditional attachment theory really paired with a lot of the work that I was doing in my in my private practice. And so basically what integrated attachment theory teaches is that the analogy that I like to give for this is it's like everybody has this subconscious set of rules through which they attach to others, specifically in their romantic relationships, but also in their friendships and family relationships. And these rules are really it like the, the analogy I like is if you're sitting down, you're playing a board game with somebody else and you have a different rule book that you're playing the board game through, you're going to have a lot of problems, right? Like you're going to be playing two different board games in, in a way. And right. <laughs> we, all have, we all have this different subconscious set of rules that we play this like relationship game by. And when we don't realize that people have different attachment styles and they have different rules according to that style, then it gets really challenging to navigate our relationships. And so integrated attachment theory breaks those things down into John Bowlby's four traditional attachment styles, which are your secure, your anxious, preoccupied, your fearful avoidant, and your dismissive avoidant. But it adds that, it, you know, attachment theory doesn't just impact our 
temperament and the rules, it actually impacts the subconscious needs we have from a relationship, the expectations we have from others in a relationship, the ways, basically the strategies through which we give and receive love to others are different, um, and also the core wounds we have and the fears we have, and then the emotional um, patterns we carry into our relationships as well. So the way we tend to feel on a regular basis, people actually experience in a pattern format. So it basically overlaps um, it basically defines integrated attachment theory, your, your set of rules through those five categories. And once we understand our patterns in those areas and understand other people's patterns in those areas, it's so much easier to navigate a relationship because you're not constantly personalizing things. You're not constantly storytelling. You're not like, oh, so-and-so needs more space than I do because they don't care about me as much as I care about them. You're like, oh, so-and-so needs more space than I do because they have a different set of needs in a relationship and they regulate themselves emotionally in a different way. And so we get a lot of clarity that helps us to stop taking things personally and also helps us to understand our own needs and the needs of others so we can foster more effective communication. It, it's just, it's so um, refreshing <laughs> to hear someone else like who understands like the way that the mind works and um, there's people that I know that I'm like, you just need to listen to this girl's video <laughs> to like learn to understand because it comes out in every way. Like in just, um, like I study like the way people communicate and the way they need to be communicated with, mm -hmm. but it, this takes it like on a completely different level. Um, and, and I love that. So for people that don't know how to um, tap in to like the subconscious mind, like, and this is like an off the wall question, but would you tell them to like, go get hypnotized first to like, learn how to practice that? You know what? Or is that crazy? That's a great question. I get this question all the time. So I actually stopped using hypnosis in my private practice because I, so hypnosis is only effective for a short period of time unless it, unless you're following it up with something called post-hypnotic suggestions. And uh -huh. so, so basically I was like, oh, what you're doing is you're reprogramming your own subconscious mind after your session. And why not just teach people how to reprogram their subconscious mind from the beginning and give them the proper tools to access and the proper resources and the proper understanding. And then through that, they have the full empowerment to not be dependent on hypnosis and to understand how to reprogram themselves. And so that's sort of my take on it nowadays is like, I wouldn't, you know, sometimes you go to a hypnosis session and it's like $400 and, you know, sometimes yeah. it works for people, sometimes it doesn't. And so, so, but then you follow it up with post-hypnotic suggestions and that's where like the gold is. And that's what you're taught when you go through your hypnosis, like certification process and stuff. And so, so, um, you know, it's, I was like, well, why not just teach people how to reprogram themselves? And so I actually spent a lot of time shifting into that. And I saw that res the results for people were much more effective long-term. And so we teach a lot of that in the school. Um, and we teach people how to reprogram their attachment styles as well. And I don't know if it's helpful for your audience because I just like spieled about integrated attachment theory, but yeah. if it's helpful for me to, to explain like the different four attachment styles and see if yes, please. In that. Um, cause I sort of introed it and then I feel like I left it sort of hanging, but yes. a lot of people get super interested. So, so, um, 
the, the four attachment styles, if people are like trying to figure out what attachment style they are and the different sort of needs and wounds associated with it. So number one, you have your secure. And the securely attached person basically in their childhood learns that their feelings and their needs are worthy. And it's usually because if they cry, they get consistently coddled or tended to, or if they express a need, that need is usually held space for, um, you know, they're soothed. Even if a parent's not going to meet the need, like the child's like, let me have candy at, at midnight, you know, the, the parent won't dismiss or diminish or make the child feel silly for having a need. They'll at least negotiate or explain why that need is not able to be met. So basically this child grows up to learn like, I'm inherently worthy, my feelings and needs matter, I'm, it's safe for me to express, and that, that provides a certain degree of self-esteem, a certain degree of self-worth, and sort of confidence going out into the world and connecting with other people, and they feel like trust and vulnerability are safe as well. And so that's where we're trying to get to, and most of us don't have that attachment style growing up nowadays. And so the three insecure attachment styles are at one end of the spectrum, there's your dismissive avoidance. And the dismissive avoidant usually experiences some kind of emotional neglect in childhood. And it can even be like under the radar where they have really nice parents and their physical needs are met, but there's not enough emotional connection or availability or conversation being had in their household. And so this person usually grows up feeling like they want that emotional bond, but they associate that it's sort of been rejected over and over again. And so they learn to self-soothe, they learn to not rely on others emotionally, and they grow up in their adult lives to usually be the people that you'll see who fear commitment, who, you know, don't want to be too vulnerable, who might like show up really well when it comes to like dating. But then when it comes to being more serious, they push people away, they close down. And it's not because they're just disinterested. It's usually because they have a lot of subconscious fears being activated because of the vulnerability required to progress in a relationship. And so these people are sometimes hyper-independent. Sometimes they're, you know, sort of workaholics. They're, you know, they really focus on themselves and, and they will keep people at bay. And they usually end up in relationships with the anxious preoccupied or the fearful avoidance. They tend to sort of attract each other in, in romantic dynamics for specific subconscious reasons. And so the other end of the spectrum is the anxious preoccupied individual. And this person um, tends to feel a lot of um, inconsistency in childhood. So the parents are emotionally available, but maybe they work a lot, or maybe there's periods of time where they're hot and cold. And so this child grows up to really fear abandonment because they feel this inconsistency and it feels like that connection is being taken away over and over again and that programs their subconscious mind. And so they often go out off in their adult lives to um, really value connection and really fear losing it at the same time. And this manifests them sometimes seeming like clingy or needy in relationships or fearing being alone. And then you can imagine if you have you know, that rule book, and the dismissive avoidant rule book where you fear too much closeness and the other person's constantly hungering for closeness, you can imagine that that would create really challenging dynamics. And these things are quite common. And then right in the middle, our last attachment style is the fearful avoidant. And it's sometimes referred to as anxious avoidant or disorganized. And basically this individual experiences the anxiety of the anxious preoccupied. So they fear abandonment, they fear being alone and they experience the need to like 
keep a lot of space and push people away. And they also fear trusting and being vulnerable. And usually it's because there's some kind of trust broken in their childhood. Maybe a caregiver's an addict. Maybe there's lots of fighting in the home. Maybe, um, you know, the caregiver, somebody cheats. Something where they experience in connection a lot of trust wounds, but still some positive association. So it's like they want love, but they really fear it at the same time. And so they go in their adult lives to be the person who is like in the relationship going, come here, come here, get closer. And then you get close and they're like, no, 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 go away, go away. And they have this like push, pull, hot and cold sort of behavior and usually big wounds around, around trust. So hopefully everybody can sort of find themselves in there or find maybe their loved one or their partner because it has such a big role on our relationships and it shows up in our workplace. It shows up in, in our family relationships and our friendships. And so it sort of hopefully helps for people to navigate and understand at least at a high level, a little bit better. Oh my gosh. Yes. This is, it's fascinating. I just, I feel like, um, you know, I think back even like my, um, I mean, I don't have real kids, but I have nieces and nephews that I spend a lot of time with. And I think back to even watching and paying attention to the way they act sometimes. (laughs) And I'm like, I, I think of things I'm like, Oh my God, that is my sister made all over um, cause she's almost six years younger than me. And then my brother is like 13 months behind her. And so we th- like as adults, like, I feel like some parents, they feel like, oh, my kid is so young. Like they're not going to sense what's going on or they're not going to sense mm-hmm. what's wrong. Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing and then like, just also in my own personal experiences, um, it does matter. Like it doesn't matter how young your child is like they sense these things and later as they grow up as an adult especially if you don't deal with it and you don't get help or counseling or whatever that may look like it totally affects people as adults 100 percent 100 percent and like you're so i love that you raised that point because kids are sponges and like the, the subconscious mind really until the age of eight is basically in a state of hypnosis. It's super, super suggestible because of the types of brainwaves it's producing. So, so even though kids might not know how to like linguistically explain what's happening or cognitively, you know, process, they are sponging all of the patterns in around them. And so these things, it's almost impacting them even more when they don't understand because they're just basically being downloaded. And so, like you said, like we think, oh no, no, kids don't understand. And yeah, they might not be able to turn around and explain, you know, the way that a parent was just passively aggressive to the other and how the parent shut down. Like they might not be able to to explain that from like a prefrontal cortex, logical, analytical point of view, but because they're not able to, it's almost imprinting them more. And those patterns are basically being absorbed from what we're exposed to in our early childhood. It's, it's crazy because so my mother, does your mother keep everything from like when you were like a baby? <laughs> just my mom. She actually like, kept a lot of things, which is so, so yes, like, definitely. I mean, I'm not a hoarder. At, I mean, I, I take pictures of paper and like usually throw it away, but like I just, and, and I move around a lot cause I get bored. Right. But my mother keeps everything and she like pulls out this when I was four, she like pulls out this handwritten report card 
of, um, it was like on notebook paper and the notebook paper is like so yellow, it's disgusting. But what it said was really cute. And so my preschool teacher like wrote down like things that, um, I was good at and like basically like strengths and weaknesses and, you know, all these things. And so my mom pulls it out a couple months ago and she's like cleaning, you know, her chest out and she's like, this is your four-year-old report card. And she's like, everything on here is so accurate about you, even as an adult. <laughs> I mean, it was like so scary, spot on. And I'm like, wow. the only thing in there was, she said that I like love to read, but like, I'm actually not a good reader and I'm, I don't retain it. And so I'm better learning by audible or videos. And so, but I think the reason she put that is because my mother forced us to go to the library. I mean, we were like <laughs> nerd kids. She like sat, sat in the library with us. I mean, more than two days a week. And my mother loved to read. So, you know, she like tried to push that on all the kids, but like, actually I'm not a good reader, but everything else was very spot on and it was almost scary. And so I'm like, people pay attention to your three and four year olds. Like you could be shaping them into how they act as an adult. So yeah, start, starting. To- I love that. I love that it's <laughs> that those patterns fade the entire time. Like how interesting is that? And I find, which is so, I don't like have a whole bunch of like theories behind this, but I've definitely noticed this in my practice and through the school and all the students, when people start healing, it's almost like we return more to our childhood selves. Like those qualities and characteristics that like the more sensitivity, the more like openness that a lot of those like early qualities, I think we all have, it's almost like we return back to them as well, which is so interesting. Yeah. It's like the older I get and the more I learn, you know, and I don't know if it's just that I actually start to pay attention more and I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, so I want to ask you, I feel like a lot of people self sabotage and they don't even realize they're doing it. And so are there like three tricks or something that people can do to A, recognize that they are self-sabotaging themselves, which when you do that to yourself, it could potentially run off to your children, your business, your team members, um, coworkers, clients, so making yourself aware is the first thing. And then like, how the hell do you stop? Like, I mean, first off, you should just um, go see a professional and uh, watch um, your school, which we're going to talk about that in a moment. But is there something that people can do to like recognize that they're not treating themselves the way they should be? Yes, definitely. So one of the really interesting things about self-sabotage in and of itself is that there's no actual such thing as self-sabotage if you include the subconscious in the process, because what's actually happening is every time we think we're self-sabotaging, really, we just have our subconscious mind using a strategy to try to get a different need met than what our conscious mind is focused on. So, so just like when I was mentioning how I struggled with like the, the addiction parts and it's this sort of war between my conscious and subconscious, that's actually what self-sabotage is. It's just a subconscious strategy to get different needs met. So it's like your conscious mind, for example, might say, I'm going to set a new year's resolution and you're, and I'm going to go to the gym every day. But if your subconscious mind has like really high needs, for example, for like 
comfort or security or basically things that are not related to health, if your programming at a subconscious level isn't already for your goals, then your conscious mind can set any goal at any point in time, but your subconscious is just going to win the battle and be like, nope, we're doing this instead. And so that's actually why you see so many people fail their New Year's resolutions or struggle with like starting that business or, you know, going after that promotion or doing that extra, you know, workout or eating healthier. Like all of these things are actually just because our subconscious programming is working against what our conscious mind's goals are and we're not aware of it. And so if people are in that space, one of the first things you want to do is you want to ask yourself, when I sabotage my goal or my intention, what do I do instead? And what needs does that meet? And so let's say, for example, you see somebody like I, I did a, a, a session with this woman once and she's such a good classic example. I always use her in, in uh, the example of explaining these things. So she had a New Year's resolution and she was like, I'm going to eat healthier and I'm going to lose weight. And then we looked at her personality needs. So we all have a subconscious set of personality needs that really profoundly drive us. And her personality needs were like social time, emotional connection, time with family, um, comfort and safety or security. And so you can imagine like she's going to consciously have this goal, but her subconscious is going to be like going to the gym, like outside of our comfort zone and like doing heavy lifting and, or weights or, you know, exerting ourselves. Like that's going to take time away from family, emotional connection, social time, comfort and security. So I am disinterested and the subconscious is always going to pull her in a different direction. So what we did is like, we, we learned what her personality needs are. And I can tell you in a moment about how to find those things out, but then all you have to do from that point is start linking those things together. And so you go, okay, if I want to go to the gym or eat healthier, Um, how can I engage? How can I go to the gym with social, you know, with friends or do a group workout class or work out from my home with friends or family or go on walks with my family? So, so basically what you're trying to do, wearing comfy workout clothes, you're trying to link together comfort, security, family, social time, emotional connection time with what your goal is so that your conscious and subconscious mind suddenly have like a form of cognitive resonance instead of them, you know, having friction and working against one another. So, so if it's in steps, it's like set your goal or intention, understand your personality needs, and then try to link your personality needs to your goal because your personality needs at the subconscious level literally drive all of our behavior, decisions, feelings. They have such a profound role on us in general and how you can find your personality needs is observing the behavior you already have in your life in terms of what you spend your time on without people asking you what you spend your money on definitely reflects personality needs. Like I imagine for you, it's like probably like, you know, um, investing in personal growth and trying to expand yourself or learn in your free time, like things like that. And you probably have a huge personality need around personal growth. Mm -hmm. So it's your time, your money, what you always talk to people about or what lights you up in conversation, um, how you fill your space tends to reflect like we always keep our space full of things that matter to us. So maybe you always have like your work stuff around you or your personal growth books around you or, you know, things like that. Um, and then where you're really organized and reliable definitely reflects your personality needs too. So you can take like a bit of an inventory 
and then link your needs with your goals. And all of a sudden you have, you know, your entire subconscious mind, which runs roughly 95 to 97% of your life and your conscious mind only three to 5%. So now you have this like huge warehouse of things working for your goals instead of, you know, pulling you away from them. And it sort of feels like this like hidden thing happening where you, you're always self-sabotaging or procrastinating. You don't know why. Once we understand our personality needs and then link them to our conscious mind and our conscious mind's goals, literally like all the whole world opens up people like fast track towards success and empowerment. And it's like a really powerful thing to watch. That is so true, but it's like, there's so much noise in the world right now and everybody is so busy and especially in the year of 2020 and, and the people that either it's like, you're going to pivot and you're going to thrive or you're going to stop what you're doing and go back into corporate America, or you're, you're, you're going to have to do something different. And so in, in time of, um, I, I wouldn't so much say crisis, but some people think that a pandemic is a crisis in time of crisis. And let's say someone is really on a good path and then something out of our control happens and people perceive it as being very negative or they divert into depression. What are your thoughts on how to get yourself out of that funk? Because like in the hospitality industry, I have a lot of friends and clients that in 2020 are just like, screw hospitality. Like this pandemic has made me so negative and depressed and like they don't know how to get over it. So is that part of the subconscious mind as well? Absolutely. And it's such a, an important and powerful question. So, so what happens is mm, the only reason we experience pain emotionally or suffering emotionally, so not physically, if you take it totally out of the, the mix, pain is because we have unmet needs. So that's technically a good thing. That's how we evolved for so long as a species. It's like you feel emotional pain if you, you know, need connection or closeness and we're wired for that. And that's how we've survived is through connection and community. And so, you know, or, or you might feel pain if you're hungry or thirsty, right? And that pain is there to direct you towards getting a need met. So that same principle applies specific to our emotions. So if we have unmet needs, we experience emotional pain. That will only ever be like a five out of 10 or so. Then we have suffering, which is the story we tell when our needs are not being met. So for example, let's say there's the pain of a relationship ending, and maybe the pain comes from the unmet need of connection, the unmet need of intimacy or physical closeness or affection, you know, and so we're going to have these needs that we were getting met that are suddenly not being met, and that's going to cause pain. But then the suffering comes when we go, I'm going to be alone forever. Nobody's ever going to love me. I'm unlovable. You know, when we tell all these painful stories, we now have suffering. It's the meaning we give to the pain equals our suffering. And those are the only two reasons. Unmet needs or painful belief and thought patterns, aka stories. Those are the only reasons we can actually experience any negative emotional feelings as a whole. And so when we look at that through the lens of like what's happening worldwide right now with the pandemic is 
absolutely one of the first things that happens that people may or may not be consciously aware of is isolation takes us away from a really profound human need for emotional or social connection. Yes. And so we're naturally going to have an unmet need. And then there's other unmet needs that get taken too, right? Like we all have needs for freedom or exploration or novelty or growth. And like, you know, when you're holed up at home because you don't have um, the ability to access a lot of the things that you used to, then, you know, maybe you can't go for a walk to the same place or go to that restaurant you love or just these new experiences are also being taken away. And then a huge other basic human need that we have is a need for certainty. And, you know, we don't know when, you know, things are going back to normal or when people are going back to work. And so, you know, these basic human needs we have as individuals are being stripped, which is going to cause pain. And as soon as we're in pain, the, the mind becomes active and our internal dialogue becomes more active. And it's just a byproduct of us trying to like communicate to ourselves and get our own attention that, hey, we have to adapt or do something. But it can sort of become counterproductive because we can start doing a lot of storytelling. So we can tell the story like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be on the street. I'm never going to have a job again, you know, when, when we're thinking of certainty not being met. We can tell the story like, I'm losing all my friends. I'm never going to see people, you know, maybe somebody you're dating or in a relationship with is in a different part of the country or a different, a different country altogether. And we can be like, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose this person, you know, everything. And, and so we start getting into the pain, which then triggers our suffering. And these two things together create a recipe, you know, the, the perfect storm for, you know, a, a mental health crisis to occur and lots of challenges to occur. So what I tell people when they're going through this is the number one thing you want to start by doing is sourcing exactly what needs are unmet in your life because of the situation. And then sometimes we have to come up with updated or more creative strategies to get those needs met. So yeah, you might not be able to have this face-to-face -face conversation with friends and family to meet social and emotional connection, but maybe you can have Zoom calls once a week with people. Maybe you can join an online community. Maybe you set the intention to have more vulnerable conversations every time you talk to a friend or family member because vulnerability connects us. So like maybe we have to go outside of the box. And of course, it's not going to perfectly fill the need. You know, it's better to see people face to face, of course. But if we come up with ways to compensate for that, we're going to diminish the effects of the situations that we're in. And then if we, from the other perspective, notice ourselves storytelling and catastrophizing in our thinking and thinking things will never go back to normal or, you know, telling these painful stories, we have to be aware of that and we have to change our thinking and upgrade the way we're choosing to perceive a situation because by not doing so, we really disempower ourselves and we're actually creating our own suffering on autopilot, which is the last thing we need to do when there's a crisis happening. We need to be right. extra careful <laughs> and caring for ourselves. So it's really, you know, the, the slogan I give people is like, change your thinking, meet your needs. And it's just a sort of encompassing system to help you correct the patterns that can produce the pain or suffering or both because of the situation that we're currently in. I love that. I love that. So you have to be aware and you have to, it's almost like when, when I hear people say, um, meet your client where they're at or meet your team member where they're at. It's like, you got to meet yourself <laughs> where you're at. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So talk to us a little bit about your school and, and, um, how can people like, does it start a few times a year? Can people just sign up whenever? Is there 
one type of school or is there different types of schools where people can learn about these things? Yeah. So, so basically it's one school. Um, okay. Developmentschool.com. And, and what we do is I've recorded um, about 35 courses. So on everything from like overcoming loneliness during a pandemic to understanding your subconscious personality needs to reprogramming your subconscious mind and understanding your core wounds and reprogramming your attachment style and overcoming codependency and enmeshment and shadow work courses, like a whole bunch of different stuff in there. Um, and they're all about three hours long and they come with like a 15 or so page workbook and like in-depth exercises. So, so they're there, um, when you join. So basically you get to go and you get to take any course that really resonates with you. Um, you can purchase single courses as well, but we have an all access membership that has that. And then that also comes with, um, I do four live webinars a week with our, with our students. So it's like a live call and, um, and then we record them. So we have like over 200 webinars or so in there now. And, um, and four ongoing live webinars that, that keep going and the community in there is amazing. So people have an opportunity to chat in our members forum and on a discord channel and like ask each other questions and connect and, um, and yeah, so it's a really beautiful community and that's sort of how the school works. And, um, and yeah, I, that's pretty much that's all I've amazing. got. <laughs> that's amazing. And so I know you've been growing your YouTube channel at, at a rapid rate. And so where can people find you on YouTube? Yeah, so it's personal development school dash Thais Gibson. And I put a daily video on there um, just with like a different insight into a different part of your life. And, and um, it's all free content and it's a great space to like get started on your journey as well. That's amazing. So also um, on Instagram, is that, what's your favorite platform? Definitely YouTube because I love teaching and sharing. So it's like gotcha. I get to teach and share. So we have Instagram too, which is at personal development underscore school. And another thing that is really popular for people listening when they're, if they resonate with the attachment style stuff is we have um, on our website at personaldevelopmentschool.com. We have a free attachment style quiz. And so you can take Ooh. the quiz know what your attachment style is. And then it gives you a report and like a video explanation of your attachment style and, and things you can do to, to shift and create change if, if you're looking to. Okay. So everybody needs to go take the quiz. <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm just, so much fun. <laughs> yes, I'm so fascinated by all of this. So I have one more question um, that we're starting to ask people because we're all about GSD and around here and productivity and getting shit done. So like, what is your one productivity tip that you would give people that you can't live without this thing um, to be productive? What would that be? I love it. Okay. So it would be that really complicated meet your needs thing, but uh -huh. it honestly would be like, if you are in a position where you find yourself procrastinating anything, you have to ask yourself, like, what needs do I try to meet through procrastinating and how can I bring those needs into the task that I'm doing? So that like identify, so you might find like, oh, I'm procrastinating cleaning my room or my kitchen or whatever it might be. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, well, what do I go do instead? Like, oh, maybe I'm always instead calling a friend or going to lunch with a friend. And it's like, okay, so my brain is prioritizing its social needs over this task that my conscious mind has set out. Like, oh, I'm going to clean up. And so how do I link those things? Maybe I bring my friend over and I'm like, Hey, will you help me clean and all buy dinner? Or like, you know, so it's all about linking. And if you can do that productivity soars, it's crazy. And it feels really, really effortless. Cause suddenly like this big well of your subconscious mind and your conscious mind are working together. Link your needs, people. 
That is the key. I love it. This was absolutely amazing. And we will put all of these uh, links and ways to get to your school and all of that in the show notes. And um, if people want to reach out to you directly, it, what's your favorite way? Is it email? Is it is it Instagram DMs? I always like to ask because everybody communicates differently. I would say um, email Thais at personaldevelopmentschool.com. And we have my team there and helping answer emails. And then I go through them as well. And, and we sort of organize everything that way. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. This was super insightful. And this was so much fun. And you've asked the best questions. And I've truly, truly enjoyed being here. So. Yay! Well, everybody that is listening, um, again, I have a huge heart for personal development because it's helped me grow so much in multiple industries and in multiple spaces. And if you don't develop yourself, how are your team members and how are those around you going to develop? Because you set the tone as a leader. So go check out the personal development school. And it's okay to like want and need help and seek answers. Like, especially as you get older, like I want to, the older I get, it's like the, I want to become better. I want to, I want to help others. And, you know, like my mom said for about 10 years, I didn't ever sleep. And she's like, if you don't sleep, you're not helping yourself. And if you don't help yourself, like, how are you going to help other people? And it's so true. You know, when you're younger, you like roll your ass at your mom, which is what I used to do. And I'm like, okay, mom, I'll try to sleep eight hours, you know? And so it's just, it's really, really important to take care of yourself. You've got to take care of yourself first before you can take care of anybody else. And so Thais, this was an awesome episode. Thank you so, so much. And everyone that is listening, again, go check out the Personal Development School. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week to another episode of Business Unveiled. Y'all have a great day. Bye. That's it for this week's episode of Business Unveiled. Now that you have all the tools that you need to conquer the world and GSD, get shit done. Would you share this with your friends and fellow business leaders? One thing that would really, really help us and help new listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a comment in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in and listen to Business Unveiled. You can check out the show notes at angelaprofit.com slash podcast and link up with us on social media so you can share your biggest insights and I want to know your aha moments. Until next week, remember the profitable shifts and structures you're creating in your business help you be more present in your life. So get out there and GSD.